The Bible is a book of answers, but it's also a book of questions, and not all of them have concrete solutions. Today, we encounter one such mystery. On this week's episode of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast, Giants, Nephilim, Translation Committees, and Will Smith. You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 30 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. As always, we're excited for you to join us for these 30 minutes. And as always, a reminder that if you are not subscribed, if you are not following the podcast on Spotify or iTunes, go ahead and do that. On Spotify, it's called Following. On iTunes or Apple Podcasts, it's called Subscribing. If you do either of those things, it's always going to alert you when the next episode of the podcast is coming out every Tuesday morning. And more than that, it helps through the almighty algorithm and helps spread the podcast even further. And actually on that note, it's kind of exciting. I was looking at our um, uh, Spotify and our iTunes accounts, and normally we talk about the number of subscribers we have, but this week I noticed that we are gotten so big, you know, because of you guys, the listeners, that we're actually being recommended alongside some uh, pretty big podcasts. Like, uh, you guys familiar with the Bible Project? You heard of that podcast? Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Like, that's that's a huge podcast. And if you go onto iTunes or Spotify, it lists us right next to it. So it's putting that? us in that company. And here yeah. I was thinking we'd be listed in sci-fi. <laughs> well, that's you know, right. they haven't caught up to the past uh, five episodes yet. Um, that's right. Once, once they, once they, they get wind of it, then they'll put us in that category. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm curious for like people who run in social circles where more than one listens to this. Like, how do you describe this to your friend? It's about the Bible, and it's like this train wreck that I can't look away from. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite has been, hey, I, you know, I, I told a friend about it, and I just told him, hey, stick with them. It's going somewhere. <laughs> That was that was my favorite. Do you know that scene in the original Star Wars where they're like trying to go through the, the trench and they're going, "Stay on target, <laughs> stay <laughs> on target." That's my that's internal. Good. That's my internal mantra during a sermon. Stay right. on target. So. Well, on that note, if one of your friends recommended this podcast, uh, I really recommend that you don't listen to this one as your first one. I always recommend going back and listening to episode one, and at the very least, go back to episode twenty-five because this is a. Uh, a long series on Genesis 6, 1 through 4, and we're going to assume you've already been with us up to that point. Indeed. Um, and speaking of which, who will read for the sixth time, who will read Genesis 6, 1 through 4? I'll take it today. That way we can All have right. Nathan Nathan do the, the heavy hitting as we move into new parts of chapter 6 next week. And we might do next week a little bit of wrap up from as we, you know, decompress from this marathon we've had in these last few weeks over just these four verses. But I'm going to read one more time, Genesis 6, 1 through 4, reading from the ESV. It has not changed, but I'm going to read it again. 
It says this, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The long-awaited day, here we are, X-Men First Class, at the ah, Nephilim. In an, age, in an age of origin stories for superheroes. That's right. You want to know class. where the superheroes came from, they came from here, and they're all bad. So oh. we're going to now talk about those in uh, looking at verse number four, which this is kind of hard for me because I do I do love superheroes. Uh, we can, you know, not waste time here to discuss, you know, who, who the greatest superheroes are because we already all already all know who that is. But anyway, but wait, time out. Are y'all, this is this is really serious. This is really serious. Are y'all in the camp that sees Batman as a superhero or not? Ooh. If Batman's not a superhero, then, I mean, who is? I'm just going to put my cards out there Matt, right now. Matt, how do you feel? I, I'm sorry. If if you call Superman a superhero and Batman a superhero, there's a real problem. Matt, we are friends. Gandalf, <laughs> I'll pray for you. We'll come back to this. We'll come back there's to this. A, that's, that is that's, such, that's a such... By the way, there is such an ongoing dispute. This goes so deep. This, the Batman, <laughs> the Batman superhero discussion is deeper than anything we've discussed on this podcast. Um, right. Well, that that's appropriate because it's a question with an unclear answer, as we're going to find oh, out in today's episode. Oh. Very nice segue, which there leads us to the first point: is that the Nephilim came from Krypton. So uh, yeah. that's pretty much all we have to say. If you were uh, looking, if you were looking for that final straw for not listening anymore, you just got it. <laughs> you just um, got it. No, so, but there, so there's a yeah. lot of uh, this is one of those passages, uh, and you know we've really slowed down on the stuff, but that's because it's confusing stuff, and a lot of people have no idea what to do with it. We're here to say we've done a lot of digging, and we're still not quite sure what to do with it. Uh, so we we always want to have the but humility. Can I just to, add, we're in good company there, and we're going to talk yeah, about that ab- later. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, so we always want to say, hey, this is the text as best as we can understand it. But we always want to have the humility to say, and we don't feel like we fully understand it. <laughs> so yeah. there's there's a number of things we need to talk through today. Number one, this uh, you know cryptic phrase, who or what are the Nephilim? Number two, are the Nephilim, uh, is that a reference, to, uh, another reference to the sons of God? Uh, fallen angels, is this a reference to the offspring from the union of the sons of God and the daughters of men? Uh, and uh, at least a third thing is, you know, how does this factor into the Old Testament? Do we have any other evidence biblically to navigate this? What about extra biblical sources? And fourth, what's the relation of this stuff to the flood? Mm-hmm. Um, That's and, good. Uh, uh, so uh, where do we begin? Well, why don't well, you first I, I've go got ahead. A... Well, I've got a question right off the bat, and I just want to know, because I know you guys are studied on ancient languages, and that what, is, what does Nephilim even mean? I don't mm-hmm. know. 
Uh-oh. <laughs> so we've talked in previous. My episodes. father is a Hebrew professor, and I don't know. Yeah, a, a lot right. of people go. Uh, a lot of people think Nephilim. Usually, when you see an I M on the end of a word, it's a masculine plural ending in Hebrew. So you say, okay, what's the root before that? And Nephilim sounds like a masculine plural form uh, of of a Hebrew verb nafal. Nafal means to fall. And so one very popular option is Nephilim refers to fallen ones. It's masculine plural. So some think Nephilim is a reference either to fallen ones, these uh, male sons of God who cohabitate with daughters of men, or to the offspring of that union. And there's there's reasons for those positions. Yeah. Now, that is also a, a rather recent view of this, because to get a better understanding of what more ancient peoples thought about this word, we're going to go back to our old, reliable, handy-dandy Septuagint. And again, this is not to say the Septuagint is the end-all, be-all, but it is, as Nathan has reminded us in previous episodes, all translation is interpretation. So at and it's minimum, fa- it is fascinating what the Septuagint does here. Like, that's right. You know, we've talked about the Septuagint um, with the whole see, good, take thing. We've talked about um, how it uh, handles some... To me, verse 4 in the Septuagint is the most telling piece of interpretation and translation we have in this And passage. by the way, the KJV, the Authorized English Version, goes with the Septuagint translation. Welcome back to the King James Bible Podcast. That's right. Um, All right. Nathan, why don't you... Uh, you've told us that, you know... Nephilim is a transliterated word. It's yeah, the Hebrew word just spelled out in English. But why don't you read to us from the Septuagint? What yeah, does that say? Yeah, so in the Septuagint says, and the giants were upon the earth in those days and after those days uh, when they came into, namely the sons of God, to the daughters of men. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, they were begotten to them um, and begat with them at, uh, on the fly there. Um, these ones were the giants from literally Aonos, which could be from eternity, eternity or literally just days of old, uh, the men of the name or the named men. Uh, so here's, it's, it's a double whammy for me why this is interesting. Number one, in the Hebrew, we have Nephilim, not a common term in the Hebrew Bible, right? As we'll discuss, it only occurs in one other instance in the entire Hebrew Bible, which doesn't give us a lot to work with. But interesting point number one, when the Septuagint sees Nephilim, it translates it giant. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't even hesitate. Where, where, you see, where you see Nephilim, the Septuagint says giant. The other really interesting thing for me, and this is, man, there's an interpretive uh, decision being made here, is what you see at the end of the verse. Uh, We usually see from the Hebrew, these were the mighty men of old, or the mighty warriors of old, something to that effect. In the Greek, it just says these were the giants. And it's listing it specifically in the context of repeating the sons of God coming into the daughters of men and children being born to them. So for the Septuagint, the Nephilim are almost certainly the offspring of this divine 
uh, or heavenly being, earthly being, union, this is what comes from that. And, and in that context, it's what precipitates the flood. Um, and that's not, it's not isolated, but that's, man, that's really interesting in the Septuagint. Hmm, boy, that is interesting. So it's taking Giborim or Gibor, Gibor, mighty, mighty men, and it's it's translating that as giant as well. It's taking it's taking two different words in the Hebrew tradition, Nephilim in verse four and verse five. Oh no, it's actually both in verse four. It has Nephilim and it's translating that giant giants, and then it's also taking Giborim and translating that giant as well. Yeah, and, and again, we don't have to we don't have to get too caught up on giants, uh, right? So we're not, you know, when we look at stuff outside of the Bible to to support the understanding, we're often talking about supporting understanding at the level of concept, not necessarily precise details. There is right. nothing. So you know, a few uh, a, an episode or two ago, uh, we we talked about from First Enoch, and it said these giants were three thousand cubits tall, which were forty five hundred feet. Nothing in the Bible says or even suggests that, right. uh, except no, this is not Mickey and the Beanstalk. Uh, oh, what a great cartoon! <laughs> that is a good one. Um, the uh, uh, so except the other use of uh, Nephilim is in Numbers thirteen when the when God wants to take the people into the land and the people of Israel say, "Hey, we saw Nephilim there, um, and we were like grasshoppers to them." Interestingly, though. Even then, uh, so also there, Septuagint translates that as giants, but even there, a height is not given, right? Right. And this yeah, is let, not a... In fact, this I is, have it right here. Let me read it. Just Go uh, ahead. Go ahead. Invert numbers. This is my numbers 13. And let me just read... Um, 33, is it? Let me, yeah, let me just start in verse 31. Okay. This is the spies. Then the men who had gone up with him, that's with Caleb, said... We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Interesting. By the, and by the way, so we know there's a couple of things. We don't know if that uh, the Nephilim there, we don't know if that's an editorial comment, you know, the Nephilim are the descendants of the son of Anak, or if that's a part of the report. We also right. don't know if we're getting this report straightforwardly or if the, if the guy giving is, yeah, we can't take this land. There's giants there. You know, I think of those like medieval maps when they were charting a coastline and they would see a rocky stretch. Uh, right. And they didn't. They didn't want to risk getting the the ship either stuck in doldrums where there was no wind, or being run ashore on the rocks. So they would just put here. There be monsters on the map. Are we getting right. that? And so we don't have as much as we would like to in Numbers thirteen. But the one thing that is emphasized is that they're bigger, right? But it doesn't give bigger. us. It doesn't give us a specific height. And also, um, this will be the people that Goliath is descended from. Yeah, and, and so, by the and way, Goliath. He's tall. Yeah, Goliath is a good point, though. Um, we have two traditions. Um, our earliest uh, manuscripts seem to suggest that Goliath's height is four cubits in a span, which would be six foot nine. More common to us is what we get 
uh, through Jerome's, you know, Vulgate, and I think it comes down through the King James six cubits in a span, which would be nine foot nine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why, Matt? We, we've talked about this. Let's have Gandalf. So you tell me, Gandalf. We've we've talked about where you see Nephilim, where you see giant. There's almost no height mentioned ever. Why, mm-hmm. in the one instance of Goliath, whether it's six foot nine or nine foot nine? And by the way, when the average height in that day is like five foot four, either of those is really big. But when you're, why in that one instance would you give the giants height? Well, because isn't the important point is that they were, that he was taller than anyone they had, that Israel had. Is that, is so, that what it, the point? Yeah. So we usually see that in reference to the overwhelming odds against David, or at least what looks like overwhelming odds against David. But when David goes out of battle, goes out to battle Goliath, whose spot is he taking? He's taking um, Saul's spot. Yeah, Saul even tries to give David his armor, right? Yes. What's the catch? Why did the people want Saul to be their king? Oh, because he was he was tall. Ding, ding, he ding, because tall. he was tall. A king yeah. like the other nations whose kings were, hey, descended from yeah. the gods. Talk, talk, talk. So David's acting like a king before he is a king, and tall King Saul, who was picked for his height, uh, is now cowering in the presence of the larger Goliath. The The emphasis of the text there is not uh, Goliath's overwhelming height. That's never David's take on it. He says, just as the Lord delivered the lion and the bear into my hands, he'll handle this Philistine dog as well. He even likens him to a smaller animal. Um, I, I think the emphasis in the text is that it's a critique against Saul who was picked in the foolishness of the people because of his height and then cowers in the face of the larger opponent, Goliath. And then David, the youngest and smallest of his brothers, who may not have even been five foot tall at the time, that's speculative, but he comes into that, uh, to the presence of Goliath, and it's no obstacle to him. He says mm-hmm. the, He doesn't say, you're big. He doesn't say, I'm small. He says, the battle is the Lord's. So, again, even where we have an emphasis on height, it's because of a theological, rhetorical point, not because they're trying to sell some credibility. When we say giant, we only mean this tall. No, that doesn't seem to be the point either in that instance or in this instance. The the emphasis seems to be on this unholy union that has taken place between the sons of God and the daughters of men. And I even made the point uh, when Matt and I are talking, and I might be wrong on this. I'm wrong on a lot of things. But it's interesting to me, in Genesis, when God creates the woman for the man, the initial emphasis is on man and woman. They were naked and unashamed. It doesn't immediately go to children, right? And then something happens that's not supposed to happen. There's a judgment from God And then on the other side of that, there's a return to the emphasis on the man and woman, and this time they have kids. Look at how Genesis 6 plays out. Uh, First, we hear that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were good, uh, and so they took them as wives. We've said that. And then God seems to give a judgment. Something seems to have gone wrong, and you have that 120 years, which we see as a suspended sentence uh, sentence of forthcoming judgment, maybe a chance for repentance. But then it it returns to the union of the sons of God and daughters of men again, this time with an emphasis on the offspring. What went right with God is now going wrong apart from God. Um, And how will God, how will God respond to that? He'll respond to it with the flood. Right, man. That's a great parallel. 
so th- throughout the past few episodes and, and the podcast in general, we've we've relied heavily on the Septuagint, which is uh, a Greek tr- an early Greek translation, right? Yeah. Uh, so okay, mo- most so, dated between the the mid third and mid second century BC. Okay, so then my question is, if the Septuagint, uh, using two different words, both point to giants, wh- so where's the problem then? So that seems pretty cut and dry to me then. If the Septuagint is saying giants, then where where are other interpretations coming from? Well, because when does Goliath live before the flood or afterward? So, oh. so yeah, so the, so the catch happens. The catch happens. Okay, uh, preacher, if I will buy into your sci-fi interpretation, your fancy seminary learning, um, if I'll buy into that and say, okay, so somehow beyond what I'm able to conceptualize, the sons of God, these rebellious heavenly beings, and the daughters of men did cohabitate, and from that union there emerged this. You know this hybrid offspring. Hi, uh, hybrid offspring that we'll call Nephilim or giants or mighty men, and you're saying that that's what precipitates the flood. Doesn't the flood just wipe all that out? So how are we getting giants? How can how there are, be descendants? Yeah, and so Matt, uh, we've talked about at least three views for that. What what uh, can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. So let let me just say the Bible does not address how. We just know that they are there. Let, let me, like, let's look again in verse number four. It just says, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and now, so uh, if Nephilim are a, is the fallen being, then that means that there were, you know, subsequent heavenly rebellions that were they kept falling, so to speak. In which case, why don't we hear about those? <laughs> that's right. If There's always another question. That's right. If the Nephilim are a hybrid offspring, that they're a result of the fallen beings, then that's why God sent the flood. How are there Nephilim after the flood? So do, do those y'all are ever great feel, questions. Do y'all ever feel like Paul being told too much study has driven you mad? Because yes. We started this podcast to give you the answers, and all we got was more questions. Yes. So there are three, <laughs> three ways in which people who hold this view, and we're uh, people who hold this view, and I, I will say I am undecided. Uh, I, I am genuinely undecided on how the Nephilim get there after the flood. That's my, I, I don't know. I, I think it's clear how the Nephilim are there before the flood. I have no idea which one is the best explanation of why they're there after the flood. Let me give them to you real quick. I have a position, but I don't have enough evidence to, uh, to you know, to argue. Right, with. right. So, okay, the first one is this, is that the flood did not fully wipe out all of the Nephilim, that somehow they just survived on mountaintops. There's maybe hints of this in Flavius Josephus that some that's that's Heiser's that's Heiser's view, right? Yes, Michael Heiser, a popular scholar who is very much takes the supernatural position, and he wrote his dissertation on it and stuff like that. Um, anyway, uh, so it was a, a flood that was felt on a worldwide scale, but did not wipe out all of the Nephilim, so to speak. So, but it, but it begs the question: then why why the flood? <laughs> yeah, what, then why was, the flood, wasn't, if wasn't, the, wasn't the, the flood, flood to deal with was, that? Right. If the flood was not successful in wiping out the Nephilim, then why send the flood? 
and stuff like that. But I mean, uh, God can use fire, flood, lightning. You know, right? Exactly. Oh, it's it's like playing it's like playing Pokemon. It's like God used flood. It was not effective. <laughs> That's funny, and I'm amazed that I understand that reference that makes me a nerd okay the better than fiction bible podcast (laughs) signing (laughs) off that's right that's right so all right the next one is is that okay even though there's no doubt in my mind that moses who wrote this couldn't have cared about this explanation but the next explanation is something that we come up with in the modern day modern days is that well we're told that noah is perfect in his generations that he is a descendant not of the sons of God, that he's descended from Adam. So is that true, though, of Noah's wife? Is that true of Noah's son's wives? Could it be that one of them carries... In a There's sense, giant's blood in some of you people. Yeah, the giant blood, the, the giant DNA. The only problem with that explanation is that, to me, that just gets way too modern in a very ancient text. And I think if we could sit around at a round table with Moses and say, so are we talking about giant DNA? He would look at us like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> this, not only would he not understand DNA, it'd be like, man, y'all are completely missing this. It feels so, too Maury Povich for me. Yeah, you, you are go. the father. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, but is it scientifically possible Yes, but how much does science matter when you're talking about supernatural beings? It's all weird and bizarre. I feel like right. I feel like we need to say, is it sci-fi-antifically uh, <laughs> sci-fi. possible? <laughs> That's right. All right. So, all right. And here's the third it's weird possibility. To yeah. Third possibility is that, could it be that, number four, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children of them, does that reference future times when angels cohabitated with humans after the flood and then also bore children to them. Did it happen again? And that, and that's personally, I know there's not a huge pile of evidence, but that's, that's where I lean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, doesn't, doesn't, we've talked about this on the podcast before a couple episodes back, but doesn't uh, Paul seem to believe that this could happen again? Well, well, okay. Well, hey, well, that and to, that to me is the clincher. But before we go there, fast forward through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Moving forward from this, what's a key like recurring scene where angels appear when someone's about to have a baby who should not be able to have a baby? Oh, that <laughs> is very true. Interesting. Um, so that, that so there's there's a little bit of a stepping stone there for me. Um, mm-hmm. Is hey, if you see an angel. I'm not like I'm not referencing the Alabama song. There are angels among us, but maybe you're about to have a baby. Um, right. Uh, you know, virgin birth. That Gabriel right. appears to both Joseph and Mary. But, but that's, uh, again, that, that is a big difference, though, between seeing an angel telling you about a birth and actually having a baby with an angel. No, I just, I just, yeah, I just think the cluster. Just, yeah, that it, there, absolutely, there's a qualitative difference. Um, but I just think that cluster women who shouldn't ha- be able to have kids or, you know, through natural union, angel appearing, baby born. I do think that's an interesting cluster in light of passages like this. Again, there are, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not directly making those one and the same. I'm just saying it's, there's an interesting 
conceptual tie there, I think. I could be wrong. <laughs> or could it be that when, like, Ham was born to Noah and one of his relatives said, oh, my gosh, he's an angel. Don't talk about my kid that way. <laughs> <laughs> he is pure human. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> That's so, that is so nerdy and stupid. It only makes sense in the context of this podcast. I, oh, so some people will judge you for that joke. Like, they'll call it, like, there's pastor humor and there's dad humor and there's, like, dad pastor Just nerdy, humor. nerdy, stupid, and dumb humor. And I'll laugh at it every time. You are... <laughs> This is a safe space for you, my friend. <laughs> this is a safe um, space. But I, I, I have digressed, though, because Gandalf Nathan, did a, you were an uh, angel. <laughs> thank you. God bless you. Yeah. Um, uh, but Gandalf, before I got off on my tangent weird view of, of paying attention to angels and women who shouldn't be able to have babies that have them soon thereafter, Gandalf did allude to something Paul says that that that, oh, yeah. that does First seem to tie in. Yeah, that does seem to tie in in First Corinthians eleven twelve, I think. Uh, with Ten. this third view that we're discussing, is this is it possible that that type of rebellion happened more than once or could happen again? And right. It's actually First Corinthians eleven ten. It says this. Oh, I said twelve. That's right. That's I'm okay. Sorry. That is why a wife or woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now he's talking about the appropriate wear and garb in worship here in First Corinthians. But it's interesting, like, where does that illusion come to? I remember, or where does that illusion come from? Uh, I remember reading this as a kid and then seeing that in the KJV because I, I grew up in a KJV home. Not KVG only, KJV only, but we use the KJV. Uh, anyway, it was like, where in the world? What in the, the angels? What is that all about? Uh, so could it be here in what Gandalf is alluding to that Paul is saying, hey, y'all remember, you know, what happened with the angels and the women? We don't want that business going on again. Well, it could be. Could it be that Paul is just giving a nod to the fact that it's happened and is not necessarily suggesting that it can happen again, but rather, hey, well, we remember the last time that this happened, bad things happened. So let's not do that because who knows what could happen in the future, even if it has nothing to do with angels. Well, yeah, that's why you can't be hard and fast on this view, I think. That's why I think the third view of saying, hey, listen, that people can still cohabitate with angels and stuff like that. I think that's just a that's a bridge too far for me to say with certainty. Uh, yeah, but it is. It, I mean, but but I mean, this is. I was telling y'all. I mean, I think of that Nick Cage, uh, Meg Ryan movie, City of Angels. Right. You have a, you have angels who choose to stop being heavenly angels. They get called Nephilim. They choose to fall, and that's how they make their transition to humanity, so that they can be with women. Uh, like so. In other words, this is not just a weird ancient concept. At the very least, it's a weird modern concept too. Um, mm. But it is. Uh, you know, we compared. Uh, not only what you know, Greek and Hebrew say, we also look at how modern translations handle this. Matt, I think it was the New Living Translation that you were reading. Oh, yeah. What you did it say? read that one? Yeah, yeah, read it on New Living Translation. So they're clearly, remember, all translation is interpretation. They are right. clearly taking a trajectory here. Le- three, New Living yeah. Translation. Uh, what now? Yeah, they're they're clearly gravitating toward view three. Correct. Listen, it says, for this reason, because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head and show she is under authority. Interesting. 
Now, there's an interpretive step there, but I do think it's interesting that they conceptualize it that way. Right. Um, so, you know, this whole episode, I hope, is illuminating in its disappointment because I feel like we've been building to the <laughs> Nephilim for several. Not, I don't feel that way. I've, I've re-listened to some of the podcasts. Uh, we've been building to the Nephilim only to get here and say, yeah, there's some stuff here that we don't know. But I don't. I feel like there's enough here that we can't just wave a flag and say nothing to see oh, here. Dude, listen we, to this. We I at least have at to this. engage what we have. Let me read to you the New Living Translation. Clearly, this was an uh, an undecided committee on translation committee on Genesis six four. It's like, hey, how can we translate translate this in a way to make everybody happy? <laughs> listen to this. In those days. And for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. <laughs> for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Everyone's very, happy very there. Non-committal. Very <laughs> non-committal. Very non-committal. Everyone's no, happy there. <laughs> you have giant blood. Oh, we have Seth's blood, too. Um, yes. <laughs> they should make a podcast, those wonderful right. guys. Giant guys. Nephilites. These are really big Nephilim. So for they wait, don't know, the and neither yeah. do we. This yes. is the Better Than Fiction Bible podcast. So, so uh, that brings up a... Yeah, go ahead and ask that, because I think you're going in a... So, so that brings up a, a, a question that, do we know for a fact that Paul or ancient readers or any of these guys knew for certain, or was this also a mystery to them? And, that, uh, and that's... Uh, you know, so we're running short on time. And, and again, one point Matt made that, need, that bears repeating is... Uh, it's tempting to look, look at Genesis six and say, well, yeah, at least, at least Noah knows what was meant. Right. But what's the catch oh, yeah. is, is this is not being revealed scripturally. It's not being revealed to Noah scripturally. It's being revealed to whom? Traditionally Moses. Yeah. <laughs> and so Moses the, the, is sitting there writing and, and, you know, and, and, and God says, and, all right, write about the giants. And he's like, Hey, what are those? <laughs> and Moses, yeah. And Moses is the traditional author, not only for the use of uh, Genesis six, four Nephilim, but also for numbers, 1333, which Correct. is the only other place. And so Gandalf, man, we, we don't know. Uh, we don't want to speak too far, even though we try to push the uh, boundaries of, of what, you know, uh, gets exposed sometimes. We don't want to push too far beyond the evidence. We want to limit yes. ourselves where the but Bible limits us. Let me kind of wrap it, though, with this final comment, though. And here would be just a quick reminder. Remember... There is much of the Bible that is written as a polemic. We've already seen this. And we've said over and over again in the last few weeks, this story about the immortals cohabitating with the mortals and producing hybrid offspring, the demigods, that that story is found everywhere. So for instance, Moses, who would have grown up in Egypt, this is a part of Egyptian mythology. Moses would have known this story from Egyptian mythology. But maybe not this version of it. Well, not this version, but there's something that's that's close to it, though. They do have, Egypt had the demigods. But anyway, so what I'm saying is, is that this story in the greater context of the ancient world is found everywhere in some version or shape. And it's it's kind of like the flood story. It's, hey, if it's found everywhere, as you've said so many times, Nathan, is that evidence that nothing happened or maybe something happened even if we don't know how to fully explain it yeah so we have talked about this six times um the past previous episodes leading up to the nephilim and now we come to the answer who are the nephilim 
and it's well, we're not entirely sure. This is that <laughs> this is that Men in Black moment where Tommy Lee Jones sits down on the bench with Will Smith, and Will Smith is blown away by finding out there's alien life forms. We're not saying they're aliens, uh, but he says, you know, this is how you saw the world yesterday. Now you you can't see it that way anymore. You still don't know everything, but imagine what we'll know tomorrow. Essentially, what he said, you know, 1,500 years ago, people knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, people knew the Earth was flat. And 24 hours ago, you knew that mankind was alone on this planet. And I love what he says. Imagine what we'll know tomorrow. And that's kind of like honest Bible study usually results in more questions than answers. I just I just want to acknowledge where I still have questions. Really, right. I hope it's. In other words, I hope our our processing and the information herein has been informative even if it's not conclusive right yeah and thank you listener for uh staying with us on these six episodes of genesis 6 1 through 4 and next week we're going to move into some new territory and the flood. we keep yeah we can't guarantee that there, right. there will be uh we can't guarantee that there will be answers to everything but uh we'll do our very best right and now we have gotten several questions uh sent to us on our website so yeah. if you want us to further dig into some of this stuff uh, by all means, send us, a, send, us a send us something better than fiction, biblepodcast.com, and we will see you next week. All right, later. Shalom. All right. We were, we were pushing the heck out of a 30 minute episode on that one. <laughs>